Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode 2 of what will be many in a series, I hope. I'm glad you've joined me this morning. As you've found out from yesterday, we were covering the story of Isaac and Rebecca, a beautiful story yesterday. Marriage at first sight, I've since called it. The Lord leading in the life of Isaac, leading Abraham's servant to the well where Rebecca was brought to by the Lord's leading, I believed as well. Rebecca being a woman of faith, a beautiful woman in character, and someone who respected her husband and when at even without even meeting him, was willing to trust herself with the Lord, and the Lord brought them together. And she gave herself to her husband, and he loved her. Beautiful story. And we learned so many lessons of faith and trust in yesterday. Today we're continuing on, and we're going to find out that this story is not without its trials of life, which is what I've called this today, the trials of life. You see, Isaac and Rebecca, though they were loving to each other, they were... I'm sure they would have been very happy in each other's company, but there was something missing in their lives. And we find out in the scripture, and this is based on Genesis 25, verses 20 to 27, that they were without children for quite a few years. In fact, it was for 20 years of marriage. Remember, Isaac was 40 years old, it tells us here in verse 20, when he took Rebecca to wife. It says there, Genesis 25, verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca to wife. And then they went for 20 years without children. But remember, Isaac was a man of faith who had believed and was familiar with the promise to his father, Abraham, that he would be the uh, father of a great nation. And Isaac trusted in the same promise. He was a very loving and respectful son, and he manifested a submissive attitude in his early years at Mount Moriah, and, and then 20 or so years later, in the choice of Rebecca for his, as his wife, he trusted his father in, in that choice as well. But more importantly, he trusted himself with God. He was a man who believed in his father's God. He believed the covenant promise that God would make of him a great nation through whom all the world including you and me, would be blessed. And rather than becoming faithless, what does he do? So here he is without children. In fact, it's very much like he's his own father because Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord made that promise to him that he would make of him a great nation. And Abraham didn't have a child. I think it was about 80, 86 years old before he had a child, which was Ishmael by uh, Hagar, his uh, concubine. And that was uh, man's devising, by the way. <laughs> that wasn't in God's order, but uh, God nevertheless blessed uh, Hagar with her, with her son. But that was not God's choice. That was not God's way. And Abraham lacked some faith there in trusting in God to fulfill the promise in his own time and way. And so this was a challenge now for Isaac, a similar thing. He was expecting a, a children, but he wasn't being given any. Or in fact, Rebecca, it says here in the Bible, that her she was barren without child. But what does he do? Does he give up? No. He exercises faith. Rather than becoming faithless, he reaches out to God in prayer. It says here in Genesis 25 verse 21, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. Note, Isaac prays to the Lord for his wife. It was as much for her sake as his. 
You see, children are a wonderful source of marital happiness, and knowing that Rebecca's happiness, as much as his own, would be wrapped up in children of their own, he prays to the Lord for her sake, and not just his own. And what happens? Well, let's have a look. Verse 21 tells us, the second half of it says, And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Their prayer was heard. After 20 years of childless life, God heard their prayer. What a wonderful God we serve, isn't he? He hears our prayers and, you know, okay, sometimes... Those prayers aren't answered straight away. Sometimes our expectations, maybe we didn't, don't even pray for something because we expect it will just happen in the course, of, the course of nature. And here God had promised that he was going, he swore by himself. He'd already sworn that he was going to do this thing here. But he waited 20 years. That's a long, that's a fairly long time to wait uh, for the Lord to fulfill a promise. But nevertheless, our God is faithful who we serve. And sometimes it's just a matter of us learning to exercise our trust and faith in him. So God hears Isaac's prayer and Rebekah conceives with child. Well, in fact, not just one child, but we find out in this story, she's actually got two children. This is what it says here. Now notice this. It sounds like some trouble is brewing here based on this verse. It says, the children struggle within her. And Rebekah said, if it be so, why am I thus? Her children were struggling in the womb. She had twins. And this perception in Rebecca's mind of a conflict happening concerned her. It bothered her. Why is this going on? And so verse 22 tells us that she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord answers her troubled prayer. And in answering, note what the Lord now says. Verse 23. And it gives us an indication of the great history that is to follow this verse in the life of Jacob. And his brother Esau. It says here, Genesis 25, verse 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. So here we have it. The two children in the womb of Rebekah were to become two nations. And not just two nations, but two very different nations. They would be distinct in their characters, just as the two brothers would be distinct in their own characters. The Lord saw it all. He saw the characters of the brothers. Not that the Lord uh, predestined them to be that way, but the Lord, foreseeing it, revealed it to her what they would be like. That two nations would result in, from these two brothers, both very distinct in character from each other. And it goes on to say here, And the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. Here we have another intimation of some kind of conflict going on here, because generally in the days of the patriarchs, it was the younger serving the elders. So here we have a twist of, of the tables here, a turning of the tables. The elder shall serve the younger. This is setting the scene for the story as we go on. Genesis 25 verse 24 tells us that when her days were to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Let me share an incredible insight from one of my favorite authors, Ellen White. She writes here, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew before the birth of Jacob and Esau just what characters they would both develop. He knew that Esau would not have a heart to obey him. 
He presented the future history of her two sons before her, that they would be two nations, the one greater than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And history records that these uh, brothers not only rose into two separate nations, but two manner of people, wildly differing in character, habits and pursuits. Keep in mind they were both brothers living in the same household, growing up in the same environment, and the nations, the generations that came from them lived in the same geographical area, generally speaking, but they would become widely different in character. And they were destined, according to the prophecy here, of what the Lord foresaw, they were destined to run very different courses as far as their national development was concerned. As, that is, as, gener- as, as they developed as nations, one would become uh, a nation of war and violence, and the other would become a nation blessed with the religious privileges and superiority in that respect. And so the uh, elder, the elder brothers' generations would end up bowing in submission to the younger brothers. This is um, what the Lord foresaw, and that's what history records happened eventually. If you follow through the the um, history of Edom, which is the uh, nation that came from Esau. So let's have a look just a little bit at the character of the eldest son. It tells us here in verse twenty-five, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. Now Esau means rough to handle. It tells us in verse 27 that it says the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. So Esau lived a rough and tumbled childhood. He was a man of the field. He loved adventure. Alan White, my favorite author, gives an insight in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets, on page 177. She says that here, that impatient of restraint, Esau delighted in the wild freedom of the chase and early chose the life of a hunter. Reminds me of Nimrod, the great hunter, or the mighty hunter before the Lord, you know, someone who was on the, along the line of Cain's descendants. Someone giving themselves over to self-gratification and the thrill of the hunt, as it were, the excitement of the hunt, centering all their interest on the present, as it were. Esau, in effect, was a restless spirit. I imagine he was a glass-half-empty type, never satisfied, needing a thrill to feel contented. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 verse 20, So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Isn't that true? No matter how much we get, we always want more. No matter how big of a house, we want a bigger house. No matter how nice of a car, we want a nicer car. You know, if we see someone else with a nicer shirt, we want a nicer shirt. <laughs> you know, it's just, just, just human nature, isn't it? That's naturally how it is. But you know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. It's about our characters. It's about living a life that's pleasing to God. And it says here, godliness with contentment. Being, being content in what we have, in who we are. That's where great gain comes from. So this kind of contentment, Christian contentment, where does it come from? Or how does it come? Well, let's have a look here. Jesus gave us a clue here. Turn with me to Matthew 6, verses 19 to 33. I won't go through it all here, but just to reflect just briefly here. He said, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, but lay up for yourselves, rather, treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. 
Jesus said in verse 24, you know, no man can serve two masters. And too, so many people are trying to do that. So many people who call themselves Christians or profess to be Christians are getting caught up in the cares of this life, in the chase for, for riches and the chase for fame, fortune, whatever it is. But Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. In other words, there's going to be compromise. He said here, you cannot serve God and money. Sure, God may bless you with money. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is a great blessing when rightly used. But when your heart is focused on gaining money rather than a godly character, that's where the problem lies. And this is what happens with the world. Everyone is tied up in chasing the dollar. Why? Because the dollar pays the bills, obviously, and puts food on our tables, a roof over our head, and clothes on our back. But what does Jesus say? Notice what he said in verse, from verse 25 to verse 33. He says, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? So which of you by taking thought, and what he means by taking thought here, he means which of you by worrying can add one cubit or one foot or one you know, six inches or one meter, whatever it is, unto your stature? And why take your thought? Why worrying about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And that's the problem here. Little faith. Therefore, take no thought saying what we shall eat. What? Therefore, take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And by Gentiles it means people who aren't focused on seeking God, those who aren't believers in God, those who aren't, those who don't make God a priority in their lives. You know, they're seeking after all these things. But your heavenly Father, Jesus goes on to say here, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He already knows it, so you don't even, even before you ask him, he knows what you need. So Jesus said here, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's just the same as saying, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, godliness, seek godliness, seek to live a godly life. And all these things will be added unto us. We'll have all our needs supplied. So for me, the takeaway this morning is don't be like Esau. Don't be a restless spirit that's never satisfied. Be content in knowing that you're right with God in whatever you're doing even if it is something that's mundane and menial. Don't become so caught up in chasing things. And by that I mean, you know, fortune or fame, position or power. Don't be so caught up in chasing these things that you miss the happiness that comes from being content. Content with knowing who you are as a person and the duties that God has laid at your feet today. Remember, happiness comes not from what is around us, but from what is within us, not from what we have, but from what we are. You know, like Rebecca, sometimes we don't understand why turmoil goes on in our lives, but God does. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows your future, 
just like he knew Jacob and Esau's future. And he's got the future in his hands. So no matter what happens today, make God's will the priority in all that you do. And if you do that, then he'll give you in his time everything you need to be not only content, but truly happy. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this meditation, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful story of Isaac and Rebecca. We uh, are reminded of the reality that you are a God who knows the end from the beginning. You have the future in your hands. You know all things, and you know our needs. Let us learn to put you first, Lord, and not to live a life of selfish gratification, but to live a life of blessing and giving and helping others knowing that if we're doing these things, if we're walking in your will and your way, that you'll work all things out for our good, no matter what happens to us. May you bless us today, Lord, and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening and for having me in your home or in your car or wherever you are. I hope you're having a great morning. I hope you have a great day and I look forward to sharing again tomorrow in the next episode of the 7am Bible.
His wounds have made. 